Hi, I'm Latresa. And I'm Clancy. And we are a mother-daughter duo that shares a love and admiration for all things Elvis. On this podcast, you can expect a deep dive into the life of Elvis Presley. We will discuss books written by Elvis's friends, family members, and others who knew him best. We will critique and enjoy Elvis movies, concerts, and music with those who grew up listening to his music, watching his movies, enjoying his concerts, and hopefully inspiring a new generation of Elvis fans along the way. With all the misconceptions surrounding Elvis, we want to remember his life and his legacy. The man, the friend, the entertainer, and the philanthropist. This podcast is dedicated to those of us who celebrate the life of one of the greatest entertainers of all times. Let's Talk Elvis! Um, if you haven't followed us yet, make sure to do that at Let's Talk Elvis podcast on Instagram and let us know if you have listened to the podcast and like what you hear. Um, today we are going to be talking about Elvis the movie, which we've both seen twice, but it's been a while for me. My mom has, uh, seen it more recently than I have but we thought since it just came out it would be the perfect next episode to talk about and really dig into so I'm gonna start with the synopsis if in case you haven't seen it yet from his rise to fame to his unprecedented superstardom rock and roll icon Elvis Presley maintains a complicated relationship with his enigmatic manager Colonel Tom Parker over the course of 20 years. Central to Presley's journey and happiness is one of the most influential people in his life, Priscilla. And I honestly don't think this is a great synopsis because so much more happens and is packed into the two-hour movie. That's right, there he is. Yeah, than just what is on this (laughs) synopsis. So I can't imagine just reading that and going... I mean, of course, I'll go see it anyways because I love Elvis, but not knowing him. It's way more than what this says. But uh, it was directed by Baz Luhrmann, who also directed Moulin Rouge, Romeo and Juliet, and The Great Gatsby, I believe. It stars Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker, Austin Butler as Elvis, and Olivia Dejean as Priscilla. And I think this cast was amazing i agree they were just insane Uh, especially austin i knew him from like the shows when i was little i i was obsessed with him years ago when he was on carrie diaries and zoe 101 hannah montana iCarly. i hadn't heard anything about him for years and i was a little skeptical when he was cast in this role but he spent two years studying Elvis um, so he could get the part just right. And he nailed it. Um, That's right. I've heard a lot of people say that haven't seen the movie. They'll say, well, he doesn't look anything like Elvis. And um, my response has been five minutes into the movie, uh, Austin Butler becomes Elvis and Tom Hanks becomes the colonel. And they just... Uh, they just took those characters and and it was believable. They really did a, a wonderful job. 
Oh yeah, like there there is no separation. They become those characters. And it is, it's so fast into the movie, you don't even really, I mean, it's crazy. I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that's been like this, especially based on someone's real life. There's always a divide between the character and the actor, and they're still good, but this was just crazy. And even like Lisa Marie and Priscilla and the people who knew Elvis talk about how Austin just transforms into Elvis. His mannerisms, his voice, uh, the way he walked, and of course the way he moved on stage. Um, he he did his homework. He did a great job. Uh, yeah. the, it was surprising to me that it was filmed in Australia. Um, really, really did look like the South when they were uh, yes. showing, you know, him as a boy and things. But uh, but the whole film was filmed in Australia. I did read they planned to film some of the movie in the South. And because of COVID, they just stayed in Australia and completed the film. But they did a great job. It was awesome. You never would have known, especially we went to Graceland last week and I was looking at, we were standing on the outside, and I thought, they nailed this in the movie. It looks identical, and I have no clue how they did that. It's movie magic. It's amazing, but it is spot on, all of it. And even Austin's singing voice, if you haven't seen it, Baz released on his um, TikTok because people weren't realizing that it was Austin singing, and he released a screen test of Austin singing That's All Right before he had even had any voice lessons to sing Black Elvis, and it is mind-blowing. And on the 2020 special that they did at Graceland, Lisa Marie said that she couldn't even tell his voice apart from her dad's. Like, it's insane the amount of work and the time that he spent putting into this role. It was he was born to play Elvis. I agree, he was. Well, I thought the movie it was not at all what I was expecting. I mean, I've seen all of the Elvis movies. I've I've read all the books. I've watched the interviews. Big Elvis fan, like I say, for my whole life. But I've never seen anything that uh, concerning uh, Elvis's life that was quite like this. Um, I think Me it either. showed a side of Elvis that. Uh, that we haven't seen a whole lot of his time on Beale Street. You know, we see yeah. him at Sun Studios, and that's where everyone considers his beginning was at Sun. But we don't see him so much on Beale Street. And uh, and a true Elvis fan knows that that a lot of Elvis's style, his sound, it all yes. comes from from the the Beale Street and his his relationships, his experiences on Beale Street. Oh yeah, I mean. Any Elvis fan has heard all about Lansky's and how he would go stand outside and look in the window. And I love that they included Lansky's too, because it was, that was a goal of his. He would go look and Lansky would try to get him to come in and he would say, no, but one day I'm going to buy you out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I loved, I mean, I feel like there's been so many movies about Elvis and I would I can't even imagine like even trying to tackle that project. But I feel like after the fact, this was one thousand percent a stu- a story that had to be told. And I'm so glad it was told. And I feel that it was told in the right way. And 
I loved, I loved how they, like, I mean, they've told the story of Elvis and Priscilla. They've told a lot of Elvis and the Memphis Mafia. And I know that I've read some of the girlfriends in the Memphis Mafia were upset because they weren't included in the movie, but that's not what it was about. It was about Elvis and Colonel Tom Parker. And they included Priscilla because that was his only wife. That was the mother of his child. That was his longest relationship. And it had to be in there. You can't tell his life story when she was such a huge part of it, regardless of how you feel about her. But they couldn't go into all of the girlfriends and every single member of the Memphis Mafia because that's not what the story was about. Exactly. I totally agree with that. Um, and, and something that I really enjoyed was the, um, the music on Beale Street. Um, I've seen on social media, I've seen a lot of, of different responses where they are calling Elvis a thief for stealing black music and things like that. And um, I did a little research and, um, and from everything that I can find, um, you know, Elvis, he did not steal anyone's music. Um, he, he recorded it. And as B.B. King said, you know, he just kind of put it into his own style and recorded it. But, um, but Hound Dog was first recorded by Big Mama Thornton. It showed that. Um, it gave her, you know, I think it, I think it paid tribute to, um, the rhythm and blues singers of the time. And uh, actually, Lieber and Stoller wrote Hound Dog for Big Mama, um, and she recorded it in 1952. Um, and her version stayed on, on, at number one on the billboard in rhythm, for rhythm and blues for seven weeks, and it sold over two million copies. And I read that she only earned $500. Very sad to be wow. a woman of color. Uh, in the 50s Um, but you know when Elvis took the song it was 1956 he took it and he recorded it Mm -hmm. Um, and from everything that I have been able to read um, B.B. King's autobiography uh, he says Elvis didn't steal any music from anyone he had his own interpretation B.B. King, Big Mama Thornton, Little Richard they were all supporters of Elvis Um, he really uh, rose awareness to rhythm and blues um, yeah, and, and really made it more widely known too, I believe. Absolutely. And actually, you know, Colonel Parker, he was so taken by Elvis because Elvis was a white boy with a black sound. And he knew that that was really going to stir up uh, some trouble, good or bad, whatever. Uh, whether yeah. you liked it or whether you despised it, it was going to be a topic of conversation. And that's exactly what uh, Colonel Parker was looking for at the time. Oh, yeah. And I I don't, I don't know, but I don't feel like Elvis ever tried to take away from the black musicians. I think he, I think it was a form of flattery when he would want to record their songs because he was inspired by them and they made him feel something in their music that made him want to record the song. And I've seen, I mean, his family was so excited and were adamant that this part of his story be told in this film along with gospel music because he had so much respect for these artists and they supported each other in a time where you there were colored uh, water fountains and entrances to stores and things. Elvis was 
going to Bill Street and, you know, watching them perform and had relationships with these people. I don't know how close they were. I um, did read that, you know, he wasn't as close to B.B. King as the movie likes to portray, but they still, they didn't dislike each other, you know? Exactly. Well, from what I read, um, it, it was saying they were acquaintances. They, you know, they uh, sometimes ran into each other. They knew who each other was. They were respectful of, respectful of each other. But one thing that I did find in B.B. King's autobiography, he says that there was not a single drop of racism in that man. And, yeah, uh, I and that. Elvis loved everyone. Uh, that was something that uh, in that day and time that didn't happen a lot. And you got to think about someone who's rising to fame. Um, he still remained true to himself, true to his family. And um, he um, and he, he did. He respected all people. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I th- I think that they handled that storyline well, and I think I think it was truthful. Yeah, I do too. I I really um, felt a connection there. I did too. And along with gospel, I I also saw in the twenty twenty interview. If you haven't seen it, I believe you can watch it on Hulu. But it was an awesome interview with Lisa Marie and. Uh, Riley Keough, Elvis's granddaughter, and Austin Butler and Tom Hanks. And she says that when they got the call that this movie was going to be made, one of the things that she and Riley both said had to be included was his love of gospel music. Awesome. And yeah. and it, it was a huge part of his upbringing and his life. And he loved to sing gospel music. And... I did love that they they included that because you can't have an Elvis story without gospel music. I agree. I would like to have seen a little more of um, Elvis at church. You know, it shows him going into the tent revival. Uh, but Elvis was a member of the Church of God in Memphis and also the Blackwood Brothers Quartet. That was his favorite gospel group. They were members of that church and he would go to singings at the Ellis Auditorium all the time and and was very involved in his own church. And I wish they would have included that a little bit instead of just like him wandering in and going to this tent revival. But I do realize that there was over four hours of film and they had to cut the movie down. So I do understand why they didn't include a lot of the other things that you would like or would expect to see. Yeah, I I mean, of course, there's things you'd want to see more of and that it definitely had a bigger role than they showed. But I, I do think because of time, it had to be cut back. But I am glad that they at least even talked about it at all. Yeah, I am too. So what was your favorite part of the movie, would you say? I would say my favorite part was the 68 comeback special when he was getting ready for that. Um, and you know, it just kind of shows him going to, uh, Steve Bender and Boney, uh, how, I don't know how to say his name, Hughes Hose, but going to them and, or having them brought to him and talking to them about, um, you know, his, basically his, um, his career was in the toilet and he, they were honest with him and he knew that. 
and he yeah. respected them for that, the friendship that they formed. And then when it shows him basically getting back to doing what he actually loved, that was my favorite part of the movie. Me too. And that era is my absolute favorite of Elvis because I feel like it was his absolute prime. He had been doing these movies for so long and it shows it so perfectly in the movie where they've got Austin Butler on the skis and the water's just jumping in his yeah. face. It was the same storyline. He It was terrible songs. I mean, it was just the same thing over and over. And he started to hate it. He wanted to be a serious actor. He wanted to get back to performing. And what was originally, it wasn't true like in the movie, like, that Colonel Parker wanted a Christmas special. He signed off on this comeback special, but he did want an uh, a Christmas album made um, instead since they were going to do this. But he, um, it, it is my favorite Elvis movie. I guess you can call it. It, if I can dream, my favorite song is on it. I, I mean, you can just see how excited he is to be back performing and it's iconic. I think it still is to this day is one of the best television um, series. I forgot what they're called, but performances or whatever. Yes, it, it, it's it is iconic, and it, it's my favorite Elvis era because he he got to do he got to go back to doing what he loved. Saddest part. What was your saddest part? Um, well, the ending, I was sitting there thinking, like, as it kept getting sadder and sadder, and I was like, it's not going to get any better. He dies. And it was just so sad how he, he couldn't stand up for himself. And when he tried, it would backfire. It was sad how he lost his family and the, the drug use and, um, just the way that he was done. I mean, we know that it is true that his head was dumped in a bucket and Colonel Parker said, I don't care what you have to do. He's performing tonight. I mean, it, it just to see, like compare that Elvis to the 68 comeback special Elvis, you can just see him slowly declining and losing himself and everyone he cared about. And it's, it's heartbreaking that someone with such a huge personality and just calling how he, it just, how it ended. It, it It's so sad. It is. Well, my saddest part, it really just ties in with that, but it's when he tells his dad to go fix things with the Colonel. And then he says to call Dr. Nick. I mean, I feel like he just gave up at that point. You yeah. Know? Like yeah. That was just like, he just really gave up on himself. Yeah. That's how I feel. I feel like he just in real life, just he just he didn't see it getting any better he didn't see it changing and he just pretty much gave up we'll never know but that's how I feel from the things that I've read and watched right Um, what was the funniest part what what did you think was the funniest part in the movie movie, I thought it was hilarious how they portrayed the colonel during the 68 special walking around in his Christmas sweater (laughs) and talking about his sewing machines and um, I thought it, uh, here like comes Santa Claus. Yeah, that yeah. Was, I thought that was the funniest part of the movie. Yeah, too. but I will say, and I feel like they tried to make these characters part of 
like a little bit of a comedic relief, but I didn't yeah. like it. Uh, did the way that they portrayed Dixie, Elvis's first girlfriend, and Charlie Hodge, I felt like they portrayed them as dumb and um, annoying, and um, I, I just don't think it was accurate. I, Dixie, when he dated her, she was super young, and I'm sure, you know, there was immaturity on her part and everything. I mean, we recently read her book, and it was definitely young, high school, immature relationship but I would be upset if I was her kids or her and I went to watch the movie and she was a super small role but still I feel like they could have toned it down a little bit how they made her act and then I didn't feel like they they really recognized her as a girlfriend it was like she was just someone who was there like basically a friend of the family or whatever uh, one time she says, you made your mama cry or you made your mama mad, whatever. But it doesn't really give her any kind of sense of identity. Well, at one point he breaks, when he breaks up with her. Yeah, and that, and that did not, according to her book um, and from other things that I've read, um, I, that did not happen with Dixie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reading Anita Wood's book, she was um, after Dixie, and I, and I know, like I said, I know they had to, uh, you know, put a whole lot into a little, but um, but the two of them just basically drifted apart. Like you say, it was more of a friendship, and it was a it was a young love, and it was it was a very innocent love, and basically, um, they're relationship revolved around the church he met her at church they went to church functions to singings together and things like that and as Elvis was drawn out more into the world um he he just basically lost contact with Dixie and and it's really kind of sad but you know yeah. it's just a a young blossoming um relationship that uh, time and distance just you know it was kind of a mutual thing they just kind of moved in different directions yeah and, and Charlie Hodge, I do think he had an amazing personality and made Elvis laugh. I feel like most of the Memphis Mafia guys had to have a good personality and sense of humor because Elvis did, and he loved to have people around him that made him laugh. But they made Charlie just seem almost like an idiot. He would just pop up and say random things. And, I mean, I don't. I just don't think he was portrayed right. I think he was a great friend. Elvis, he was an important friend. He played his guitar right alongside him, held his microphone. You know, I I just think they they made him seem just dumb and crazy. I don't know. And he, he was just barely in it at all. But it was like the few times that he was shown, it, it didn't paint him in the best light. Right. Well, um, you know, Charlie was one of Charlie and Jerry were probably the only two that basically had roles that stood out. Am I right? In yeah. Um, well, Jerry always I, I'm reading Jerry's book right now. And he he always wanted a role that like like kind of like a Charlie, like Charlie played guitar. He was a band member. He had a legitimate role other than just being Elvis, one of the guys, Elvis's friend. And Jerry always wanted that. Like, he took up um, editing film so he could edit El- one of Elvis's films. He tried to get his pilot's license so he could fly- be Elvis's pilot. Like, he tried to find, according to his book, he tried to find ways that he could work for Elvis but have an actual 
job that needed to be done. Right. So, but I, I think he was a true friend and he would leave and, and come back to, and do his own thing and then come. And he, um, he always, I feel like he was a true friend that had Elvis's best interests at heart and truly just wanted to be his friend. But right. well, Charlie, you know, back to Charlie. Charlie was the only member um, of the group that was actually a professional musician. He was a professional yeah. entertainer. He had been in a, um, a, a gospel quartet, and um, and he played. Um, the rhythm guitar. Um, he sang background vocals with Elvis and, um, and he was truly one of Elvis's closest friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he was, um, he, he had a room in every one of the Presley homes. He had a room. Um, he was actually living at Graceland when Elvis passed away. And I mm-hmm. always love, if you listen to the old recordings and things of uh, the live performances, when, when Elvis introduced him, he would say, the man who gives me my scarves and water, Mr. Charlie Hodge. Yeah. We actually met Charlie um, in Pigeon Forge um, in the late 90s. Um, he, I wish he, I could remember. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you were tiny. Um, but we met um, Charlie and he had a performance that where well, he, he um, I think he owned the memories. Um, the I, I don't know, whatever it was called. It was memories. Um, but he had a, um, a show and he had it was like a, a tribute artist who was um Lou Vudo, which is a was a, an amazing uh, tribute artist at the time, and um, and he told stories about Elvis, and you could just tell when he was talking about Elvis, you could tell how he just lit up, and uh, and I really we we talked to him after the after the show was over, but you could tell Elvis was his world. Yeah, I was just about to say Elvis was his like he dedicated his whole life to Elvis. They became friends in the army, and then when he when they came back home, he came home with Elvis. Um, but I, I just, they didn't give him enough credit in the film. Every time that his character was shown, I mean, it was just a small little tiny part. And I I didn't agree with how they, they made his character come off. Yeah, so. I, I agree. They could have spent just a little bit more time on Charlie. Agree. But what's okay, something well, that you learned? That was what I was going to ask you. Uh, Great minds. Something that I learned was about the contract that the colonel made at the International Hotel. That was mine. And, yes. you know, when we went the other day, that, that is something that I was not aware of. I had always Me heard either. that the colonel had a gambling problem. I had always heard that, you know, he had a lot of money tied up and basically may have been in debt to the, uh, to the International. But I had never heard anything about a contract that was written on a tablecloth and you know when we were there last weekend we actually saw the tablecloth yeah. where um the contract had gone down i mean it's on the contract you can you can see it and um, and that was something i was not aware of and as many times as we've been to graceland that is something i have never seen on display me either we were walking and i was like oh, look it's the tablecloth because I remember when I was watching, I was like, did that actually happen? I've never read that. I've never heard that. I've never, you know, like, 
I I really didn't know. And then, then I forgot to look it up. So it was like when we were walking through, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's real. Here is the tablecloth. Exactly. Exactly. But I, I will say it didn't have the gambling thing on it. It it had their signatures and five years and what they he would be paid. We'll post a picture of it on our Instagram after this. Yeah. That's um, for all you that would like to see it but yes it is real that did happen and it's crazy that was one of the sadder parts I thought because Elvis was so excited about getting back on tour he wanted to to tour the whole world and it was also true that Colonel Parker was an alien and could not leave the country so every time that Elvis wanted to try to tour internationally the colonel would end it really fast because he couldn't leave right exactly yeah um i guess we need to be wrap wrapping up here it's been almost 30 minutes time flies when you're talking about elvis um overall rating what would you give uh, the elvis movie out of out of 10 i say 10 out of 10 because i of course there's always things you would change of course not everything is true and there had to be some entertainment aspects added to it for the sake of making it a movie. But I think that the story needed to be told. And I think it was told well, as well as it could be. And I think the cast, especially Austin Butler, knocked it out of the park. I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, yeah, I, I loved the music. I loved um, the acting. Like you say, well, Austin Butler uh, and Tom Hanks both. I mean, I just think they went above and beyond. And they did. I want to see it again. I'm just very excited. I, too. I, the, I went the other night to watch it with one of my girlfriends. And I felt like I was like, did I did I miss something last time? It's like there was so much that I hadn't absorbed the first time. And so I feel like I could see it several times and every time learn, learn more because there's just so much. And, you know, they, they started out four hours and they had to cut it down to two yes. and a half hours. Here's and to still, hoping they yeah. release the full four hours when it comes out because I am so there. Oh, that would be that, awesome. That highly would be recommend awesome. watching it more than once because I felt the same way. There's a ton of stuff that I didn't catch on to, but super fast before we get off. I did write down some other things that are real versus not real. He did have to sing to a basset hound. He was absolutely humiliated. He was not ever arrested for that performance. No. But after the basset hound performance, they also did a sketch making fun of the South, which he found extremely offensive. So his next performance, he did say, those people in New York ain't going to change me none. I'm about to show you the real Elvis tonight. Exactly. He did meet Priscilla in the um, army in Germany when she was 14, but there's also been a ton of people slamming him about this. They did not get married when she was 14. They met when she was 14. You have to remember this was the 1960s, 1960 actually, and it was far more common for girls to get married at that age and today older men then. Exactly. But they did not get married until she was 21 and he was 31 or 32. So, no, he was not some creepy pedophile. That was after little girls. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
The Robert Kennedy assassination happened during the comeback special rehearsals, and apparently it really did uh, have a profound effect on Elvis. It tore him all to pieces, and that is when Bender had the song If I Can Dream written so that Elvis could sing it. Um, He didn't fire Colonel Parker on stage, but he did go on a rant because the hotel had fired an employee that he really liked. So that did happen. Colonel Parker did give him a bill after he fired him upstairs in his suite after the show. And Elvis decided to stay with him. And he was not sent to the army instead of getting arrested. (laughs) Um, Who knows what the government did? They could have had a hand in it. I don't know. There's no fact you know, there's no fact checking well, that no one knows really. The one thing, the one thing that stands out to me is Elvis served his country. He left his yes. fame and fortune. He did not know at the time whether he would come back and have any kind of a career at all. But when Uncle Sam called, he went just like every other person. He could have gone in and been an entertainer, had special perks. He went yeah. in and he served just like everybody else. Came out with stripes, sergeant stripes. And you have to, regardless of people and what their view of Elvis is, he served his country. 100%. And that's, I don't know a single celebrity today that would do that. So that's one of my favorite things about Elvis. And I think it says a ton about his character. But that's an episode for another day. Uh, Thank you all so much for joining us. And like I said, if you haven't yet, follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Elvis Podcast. And make sure to, if you like what you hear, come back every Monday for a new episode. Um, Subscribe to our channel, or I guess that's how it works with podcasts. You can subscribe and give us a review, but or DM us and let us know what you want to hear next on an episode or what you thought about this episode. We could talk about this all day long. Yes, we can. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.